Welcome to the Leading Voices with ULI, a podcast of the Urban Land Institute. In this podcast series, we interview city builders who use innovative approaches to create healthier, more economically vibrant communities with character and a high quality of life. These leaders provide inspiration to those of us looking to play a role in building better cities. I recently had the opportunity to speak with Steve Leeper, who's the president and CEO of 3CDC, the Cincinnati Center City Development Corporation, a nonprofit real estate development company that's been helping to create a more vibrant downtown in that city through redevelopment activities in the downtown core in the adjacent Over the Rhine neighborhood. When he joined, the Over the Rhine neighborhood had become one of the most blighted crime-ridden neighborhoods in the country and was challenging the downtown core. Civic and business leaders came together to form 3CDC to turn this around and recruited Steve from his hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he had accomplished a similar urban development agenda. This podcast series focuses on the dynamics of leadership in the development world. My conversation with Steve really brought home the truth that leadership is not a top-down job, that leadership is really successful within a web of collaborative and visionary partners, which Steve has had throughout his career. Take a listen. Maybe the best place to start is if you could give us an elevator speech on your background. You grew up in Pittsburgh, went to school at Ohio State. You spent years in housing and then economic development in Pittsburgh, and then you moved to Cincinnati. But fill in some blanks and tell us a story and tell us a bit about your pathway. Well, yes, you're correct. I, I grew up in a inner city neighborhood in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh, a very ethnic city, and and uh, it was a great uh, way to grow up and get re- well rounded and. Uh, in a variety of different uh, ways. And you are correct. I did go to school in Ohio. I first went to school at Ohio University, an undergraduate in uh, political science. And then I got my master's in city and regional planning at Ohio State. And then I was fortunate enough to get my uh, start in the housing finance biz- business because I worked for the State Housing Finance Agency in Maryland. Um, oh, so I okay. Spent, yeah. Yeah, I spent three years there in the housing finance business. And then I uh, proceeded to uh, get the job as a, uh, a housing director in Pittsburgh. And right. I, uh, in, in Pennsylvania, unlike some other states, um, local governments can issue debt for housing. And uh, uh, we, I happened to inherited a very active and uh, uh, aggressive and sophisticated um, set of housing finance uh, tools and programs, uh, combining mortgage revenue bonds and home improvement bonds and qualified rehab bonds with with um, block grant money, and we were able to do a lot of different things there that uh, uh, were unique to Pittsburgh. And so I was able to cut my teeth at a very young age in a in a business uh, that I love truly. And um, um, and in Pittsburgh, like many cities, as new mayors come in, um, uh, the administration changes, and I was a member of the an administ- a mayor's administration, uh, and uh, that mayor was no longer running for office, and uh, mm-hmm. there was a new mayor coming into town, a gentleman by the name of Tom Murphy, and uh, Tom and I uh, knew each other, didn't know each other really well, and and I figured that it was time for me to get on with my life's work and to move on to some other 
career and uh, and Tom called me up and um, wanted to know if I would a be willing to stay on and b would I come into his office and he was very going to be very aggressive on development and he wanted me to be his development director mm-hmm. and so I uh, thought about it for about uh, an hour and a half <laughs> and uh, called Tom back and and uh, uh, accepted that job and it was. Uh, Quite frankly, it was the best thing I could have done um, because it gave me a well-rounded uh, career path in terms of all aspects of of development and and all aspects of public finance, which I combined really those two disciplines. Yes, and uh, I did that for uh, this is now circa 1993 or so, and spent uh, you know Tom had a very aggressive. Uh, development agenda, and, and uh, you know, he was focused on you know recapturing our riverfronts, which had been industrialized and in some instances abandoned. He was very interested in in strengthening the core of the central business district, which had was still in relatively good shape, but certainly uh, had uh, there were sur- there were sort of chinks in the armor, and there was needed for continued investment there. Uh, he was obviously very interested in taking our brownfield sites in that city and uh, and redeveloping them as well. So that, those sort of three cores, uh, as well as uh, ongoing neighborhood development, because there is a strong neighborhood component there, those really four elements were, were part of his uh, development agenda. And, and uh, you know, at his direction, we aggressively went at it. One of the first things that we did was to create a development fund. And uh, we took a uh, portion of a, of a sales tax rebate that was coming back to a regional asset district tax. It was a sales tax that was paying for our, our regional assets, like the libraries and the zoo and the stadiums and other things. We, we took a stream of that revenue and created the $60 million fund, which eventually became the sort of the, the financing cornerstone of, of, uh, of Tom's uh, development program. Mm-hmm. Question for you is when you moved yeah. from housing into broader development, did that change your view of the world? A lot of housing people don't. Yeah, that's funny. That, 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 that is a very good question because, uh, <laughs> you know, I I was a houser first and then everything else uh, right. followed. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and Tom, I remember saying to me one time, he goes, well, Steve – People need to have jobs first before they can buy a house. <laughs> and I, just, I, I, I get that. I understand that. And so we did really think that it was a combination of things, that we these things all had to work together, that we had to create an affordable and quality housing. And we also needed to move, uh, which our agenda primarily when I was housing director was an affordable housing program, we also believed that we needed to attract market rate housing as well. And we needed to combine that with our affordable housing programs to really make, uh, you know, a strong city. So from a, just a housing policy standpoint, I had to change it a little bit. And then also just to begin to emphasize these other elements, uh, you know, of business attraction and retention and, and brownfield redevelopment and recapturing our riverfronts and strengthening our core of our downtown. All of these elements really needed to work together in the city for us to be successful and for, for the city to start to show signs uh, of, uh, of uh, redevelopment. And obviously, 
Pittsburgh, uh, before many other cities, had already sort of uh, realized the, the association of a, of a declining steel uh, industry and that we needed to remake itself. And it had already begun uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, had begun to make that transformation. And so this was some of the ongoing steps in that transformation that's you know, being realized today. In, in one of your comments was that people were upset and that the leadership from the mayor and what you were doing, that it was awkward for government to play that strong a role in development. And I'm going to quote Tom to say something about you that we read on your website. But he said about you, when your headhunter called, I told them, if you want somebody who's going to spend the next years of his life trying to get everyone on the same page, don't hire Steve. But if you want somebody who will get things done, Steve's the guy. So talk talk a little bit about that, which is, you know, your words before people got upset. This was challenging. We made mistakes. We had to take risks. How do you balance that into an open dialogue and leadership to get things done? Well, I, it, you know, it depends on the sort of project that you're working on. But, yeah, Tom is correct in that I am not, you know, when I was coming here to Cincinnati or even in Pittsburgh, you know, I, I was I was not the planning director. I was not somebody that was sitting there doing undertaking long-term planning assignments or strategic planning assignments. And on the other hand, uh, we are working in the public realm. And when you work in the public realm, you need to have public input. So to, I don't think necessarily that having public input being transparent, working collaboratively, uh-huh. uh, are necessarily mutually exclusive from an aggressive development agenda. And I think those all can can work together. And in our particular instance, I thought that you know we we did you know in the case of the department stores, there was a whole you know chamber of commerce, downtown business community, uh, retailing community, business, uh, building owners that were very much involved and interested in us succeeding in this development agenda. That doesn't mean because we had all of this support that it was the right thing to do. And there were others who simply were uh, critical of the development agenda because uh, they didn't like, you know, the policies that we're going for that we should actually, you know, the, the very fundamental view of whether or not government should be uh, financially supporting retail, which I think is a more fundamental question and one that's certainly up for debate. And certainly, um, I think both sides have very good points uh, depending on the nature of the project. So, I, uh, you know, maybe getting back to your question here, maybe a more seasoned and maybe a more, I think, confident uh, individual at the time might have been able to see both sides a little brighter than I did. <laughs> I, okay. you know, I was a, young, a young guy, and I was aggressive, and I pursued. I saw something, and I pursued it. And upon further review, sometimes you need to step back a little bit, and and that even your critics, even one's critics, oftentimes have some pretty smart things to say. And and you should feel confident enough to say, you know what, I've thought about this for a while, and you're right about this. And whether it's this 
department store issue or any of the other things that we worked on or have worked on subsequently, if you you have to be confident enough in your in your skill set and in your management and your previous successes that it's okay to say you're wrong. And I'm not so sure. Uh, I can't remember because it was you know almost 20 years ago. <laughs> I can't remember if I was just not admit, willing to admit I might not be right about this, or, but it's certainly a lesson learned that, that, that uh, taking a step back uh, and, and trying to manage both your aggressive approach and, and uh, this, this collaboration that you need to, that you need to undertake is, is certainly something that everybody should take note of. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting through this podcast series, I've been talking with people, almost all of whom do work in a local environment. And I've also been talking to people through the election season. So you think so much about politics and you think so much about political gridlock and that it doesn't work. And you think of that from a national standpoint. And that's what most of us read in the paper. And we don't think as much about our local environments. And in our local environments, the opposite can occur. People can work together. Government can actually take risk. People can make mistakes and not be skewered for the rest of their careers for this. And you get to see the the fruits of their labor. And I think maybe you're seeing that, you've seen that both in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. I find that as fa- fascinating dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 can't, I could never... Um... You know, I, I worked for government for oh, I don't know, 20 years or so, and you know, I've had to, you know, I've had this job in uh, in uh, Cincinnati now for over a decade, and which is not for the government, but certainly in a civic position. And uh, there's nothing that's more satisfying than seeing the fruits of one labor, and and even with, uh, on the other hand, uh, locally. Uh, because you can see the fruits of your labor, you can also <laughs> people can view your mistakes and they can see it and it's visible and it's it's open. Um, and so there's uh, those both of those challenges. But I will I will take that any day. And if you know what we should when you're working in the public realm, you should have your all of your work be totally exposed and you should be challenged. And if you can't take that then maybe you're in the wrong profession. And uh, that doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, accept every bit of criticism and suggest that, you know, you were wrong and they were right. But there is that healthy balance that I think somebody that's a little bit more uh, seasoned and certainly uh, experienced and, and sees both sides a little better um, uh, can, uh, uh, can live with. And so I think that's that's been a, a good lesson learned for me and, and, and for every challenge that we had and every uh, maybe setback that we had, we've, you know, we had a lot of successes. Absolutely. I mean, you can, you can see the riverfront. I mean, you know, whether it's uh, what we've seen on the North shore in Pittsburgh or whether what we've seen in the, the neighborhood of a gentrifying neighborhood of East Liberty or whether or not it is a, a simple thing, but a very powerful thing where we were able to take back an old abandoned rail line along the Monongahela and turn it into a very uh, popular recreational uh, venue for the community. So there, there's, there's, um, both good and bad 
experiences and hopefully the the good outpaces the bad. I think it does. It's interesting. I'm from Philadelphia and my mother grew up in Camden, New Jersey. And so Camden is an example of a city who just hasn't been able to make it. And either the risks weren't taken or the risks were taken and mistakes were made and it didn't move, hasn't yet moved forward. It's about to, I believe. But you have to go for it in the way that you did in a, in a coordinated fashion. You do. And it's and not only is it coordinated, but it's targeted. And, and fortunately, in the case of Pittsburgh, because it's so, uh, you know, it, it, it's geography and the fact that it's such a small city that you can target resources and, and have a visible impact. And that we're, we're fortunate. So it's that, that sort of Pittsburgh's geography is both its its challenge and its asset. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, we we were able to take take advantage of that asset. Yeah, and, it's uh, also interesting. I think you have to bootstrap success. And if you show one piece of success, then you could build the next one, and it is so visible. Versus a yeah, grand that, scheme. Think, yeah, I think that that is clearly uh, the case in uh, the neighborhood of East Liberty, which is not far from where I grew up, which was an urban renewal disaster in the 60s. It's probably why I'm in the business that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we saw it fall uh, within a 30-year period. It, it had fallen from grace so rapidly. Uh, it was at one time the third largest retail district in the country, or in the, excuse me, in the state behind downtown Pittsburgh and downtown Philadelphia. And it fell so dramatically. And, uh, and then after a few efforts of, uh, one, attracting retail, but not attracting it so aggressively as we did downtown with, uh, uh, with, a, with a Home Depot and a Whole Foods and eventually a Target. And that we've now, as, you know, coupled with residential development and transit-oriented development, uh, that that neighborhood is now showing an incredible comeback. And it was really taking that initial risk having an initial semblance of success uh, with one retailer who saw the other retailers then fall into place. And, and mm-hmm. so for the, for the retail strategy that might not have worked as well in the central business district, this one did in this, in this neighborhood that had uh, certainly sh- uh, shown its, uh, uh, its decline over the years. Right. Hey, one other comment before we move on to Cincinnati, which is which is really important in our conversation. But you just used the term ur- urban renewal disaster in the 60s. And it's interesting, a echoing your comments from before about learning from mistakes, but also thinking about our industry and what we thought was right at one moment in time that might have become a disaster. And now the industry can kind of think in new ways and and keep going at it. But in both yeah, cases, I mean, it was our industry. Yeah. And what we did was, you know, we, in an attempt to, you know, we, we wanted to try to separate, uh, you know, uses. Uh, we we uh, introduced uh, low-income high-rises. Uh, we introduced uh, badly uh, designed and managed public spaces. Uh, we, uh, we took away the, the traditional uh, street grid. We eliminated some public uh, transportation ops, and so you can go down a list of where yep. you know we 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 made some mistakes, and and uh, and you know and and then you know just finally, and, and before we leave Pittsburgh, of course, again, where Tom was focused and um, and decided that it was important, you know, we thought and working with the business community that we uh, wanted to rebuild our stadiums and rebuild our convention center and uh 
it was thought that you know this is a good idea along with some other things that we wanted to do in the community and we could go to the taxpayers and and have a a multi-county vote and people would want to vote to support this effort and uh this was led by the business community with Tom's support at the time, and, and we went to a referendum vote uh, that was absolutely disastrous. I mean, <laughs> there were some counties uh, outside the urban county of Allegheny. Uh, it was a multi-county vote, and there were some counties on a yes-no vote that only had 20% yes, which is almost physically impossible uh, in, a, in a yes-no referendum. And so... Uh, I remember the next day after it, uh, we, I was in Tom's office and he looked at me and says, we're doing this anyway, figure out how to do it within the existing tax structure that we have and come back with a plan that, that can make this work. And this is the kind of guy that, that he felt like this was an important endeavor and that it was part of the redevelopment of our waterfronts and our old industrial sites and solved a long-term problem for our convention center. And and we did, and we were able, with the help of our uh, the governor uh, Ridge at the time, who was governor of Pennsylvania, who was incredibly uh, helpful and supportive to the city of Pittsburgh, um, and eventually the, similarly to the city of Philadelphia. So we each sort of shared in the vision of, of Governor Ridge. Uh, we're able to, in a, a four and a half year period, put together a financing, identify sites acquire property and build these uh, wonderful uh, two sports facilities and a convention center uh, right in our and in, 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 where they really have a a redevelopment impact in a location that's central and that there's spin-off uh, benefits uh, we're able to to uh, to do this in a four and a half year period and I think uh, that is something that Tom uh, and Tom's leadership really enabled us to uh, to, uh, in, in my mind, uh, be a little bit of a, a case study for that type of development. You get the call to move to Cincinnati. You've done all this amazing work in your hometown. Why even take that phone call? Why make that move? And how do you well, develop the same passion in a new city? That's too many questions at once, but <laughs> give it a shot. Well, it's a good question. I uh, I am you know, I do uh, bleed uh, black and gold. So yes, you are correct. It was a tough time, but you, you can imagine after what we've just discussed over the last 20 minutes or so that uh, it was a it was a tough time, and the public scrutiny and the uh, you know just the sheer uh, challenge of the, the physical task at hand. You know, it was time. I think. You know, we had finished the convention center, and so I was really not interested in being managing an asset. Uh, although I think that asset management is very important, uh, but that I was—I am somebody that's very much interested at this point in time in my career in development, and yep. so I uh, reluctantly accepted a discussion with a, a, a gentleman. Uh, John Alshuler, who was working for the corporate community in Cincinnati at the time uh, from HRNA, and uh, I met him halfway between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and Columbus, and uh, we had a discussion, and uh, I said, you know, I'm not so sure this is – he goes, well, why don't you just come down and, and meet the folks? Just 
do, do us a favor and come down. So uh-huh. I remember coming home and telling my wife I was going to go do this. And she looked at me like, are you crazy? What are you, what are you thinking of here? So I went down there and um, I did two things. I uh, first uh, walked the areas where they were focused on, which is primarily the central business district in the over the Rhine neighborhood. And uh, at the time when I walked there, uh, over the Rhine had fallen uh, so dramatically, even more so than my previous neighborhood of East Liberty in Pittsburgh. It, but it had it had become one of the most distressed neighborhoods in the country, and it was right across from the Central Business District. I mean, right across, you know, walking across Central Parkway, and you're now in downtown uh, Cincinnati, uh, and right now at the headquarters of the Kroger Company, the largest pure grocer in the country. So, I could see where they had decided that we need to. We need to get our act together as a corporate community. We need to focus on this, and we're prepared to put resources to do so. And and then when I met the corporate leadership— One one question, one comment quickly, just because of Over the Rhine. It had fallen dramatically, but from a wonderful place. It had amazing bones and an amazing history, right? Yes, it did. It was never the gentry. It was never the home of the gentry. It was always a working class neighborhood. It was Central Parkway at one time was a canal and and uh, and separated uh, the Central Business District from this neighborhood. And this is where all the Germans immigrated to. So hence the name over the Rhine uh, was uh, was created here. So uh, it had it, it did have it is one of the largest intact historic districts in the country. It's all primarily Civil War era buildings, and uh, they were mostly multi-unit buildings that were serving lower-income folks. So, uh, for for those that are listening that are of of my age, it, w- it would be as if the Cramdens, uh, you know, Ralph and Alice were living up above, and <laughs> and uh, the retailers down below, and uh, and so it, it was a. That's what I saw. <laughs> I saw a neighborhood that had the bones, I, 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 as opposed to in Pittsburgh, where urban renewal took the whole Hill District out, which would be a comparable neighborhood to this. This, in fact, and what, you know, we, we often joke in Cincinnati whether or not it was foresight or incompetence as to why this neighborhood never got plowed over, and whether or not they just realized that this was a great historic district or whether or not they just didn't get their urban renewal application in on time or something. But thank uh, God. nonetheless, it, it is a wonderful, wonderful neighborhood. But at the time we were looking at it in 2003, there was not a lot of beauty to be seen. <laughs> so um, anyway, I, then I met with the corporate leaders, uh, you know, the folks from Macy's and Kroger and uh, Procter and Gamble and Western and Southern and Fifth Third Bank and you can go down a list of uh, Cintas. I mean, there's a lot of leadership and corporate leadership and powerful leadership here, and they were absolutely with what I walked away with was they had their aim was absolutely true. They had no other agenda. They cared about their city and they wanted it back, and they were afraid of losing it. And I heard it so loud and clear. And uh, and I must tell you that it it it, uh, it intrigued me because the job itself had a lot of the elements of my background, and so I kind of felt like I was the right fit for the job. And it was a risk for them, 
and it was a risk for me. I mean, it was a particularly a risk for them. They were bringing me into town and, you know, uh, they gave me a couple year contract. Uh, they, you know, it's a public, it was a very public thing. Uh, and, uh, and it was a somewhat risk for me in that, you know, my, at the time I had a two year old, my wife was seven months pregnant. So we were coming to a town with no, no support or anything. So, and it was a startup in 2004, we were a startup. We had, you know, three employees or something, two employees and, uh, and, uh, and an aggressive development agenda. And, and so it was, I, I, I asked myself and I particularly asked myself about the second week on the job, like, what have I done? Why did I do this? Uh, but that's, that, that, uh, that concern and that thought pattern evaporated quickly. I'm not one of these people that ever looks back and I made a decision. We made a decision and we were going to do our best to be successful. And, and uh, we then began our journey. Yeah. So let's pick up on a couple of the things that you said before. So one is you carefully analyze this opportunity in between the business community, the political community, and the bones of the challenge. You had the elements of potential success. You could underwrite this pretty well. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned the political community because then I was also in my visit. I forgot in my visit there, who was really the one of the co-creators of this concept was then Mayor Charlie Lucan, who uh, was the mayor of Cincinnati at the time, who I met with and I connected with. And Tom had some uh, attributes that are comparable and and they are they're uh, similar in some ways and very different in others but both of them are folks who I felt I could work with and for and uh and so I was I that was the other element and I'm glad you brought that up uh-huh uh-huh second thing is you talked before about being young in Pittsburgh and less experienced but now you had the opportunity to recreate an organization or create the startup organization with some of the elements of success as well. So would there be a different strategy? What did the learnings of a 40-something-year-old coming into this job bring with it? Uh, I think it was the ability to see that there there is – that not everything is black and white and that, in fact, there is something called gray and uh and that i i think i was a little bit more patient i wouldn't say a lot more patient and i would say that early on i felt like that i needed to prove something a little bit and that needed to get and show some visible results and i was sort of being pressed to show visible results so that our first project that we undertook was the recreation and redevelopment of our main civic space which is fountain square which people wondered why the heck we were undertaking that endeavor. And, uh-huh. uh, but I think that as a 40 something, uh, at that point in time, I think I could see things in a, with a longer term vision that I realized that it was going to take some time and that I thought I had a little bit more patience, certainly than I did in Pittsburgh, probably less than I do now. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I believe that I was I was getting better <laughs> at, at, at that whole uh, need to be a little bit more pensive, maybe is the term. <laughs> you don't sound like a pensive person. You sound like a thoughtful person. But so can I talk about the pathway of 
how you and maybe back to where we used before bootstrap success to show that things really could change. Well, yeah, I mean, we, you know, at the time we were building our organization, the way it worked and the way the corporation worked, the, this, this, the participation by the corporate community worked. First of all, the fact that they decided to get into this business, which is it's essentially a 501c3, it's a full service real estate development company. P&G's chairman and CEO was our chairman and CEO, or excuse me, it was our chairman, I was CEO. And um, for corporations to get involved in this kind of work is highly unusual. I mean, they they may get involved in a project or they may, you know, name a park or an arena or get involved in, in some form or fashion museum. But to to get into the redevelopment of business, redevelopment business where there's no easy exit strategy, there's all the potential for controversy. Um, and that it's a both a and has both a financial uh uh, implications and, and 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 a draw on financial resources, as well as a draw on, draw on human resources. I'm sure A.G. Lafley had a few other things at Procter and Gamble to do than to spend time with me. And but they were committed to this, and they saw that this eventually was good for the city and would be good for their company, even if it was in an indirect way. So even um, better I, than I good think, for, didn't they probably saw an existential threat? I think I think that's exactly the point at the time, which was they were very concerned that this was falling and there was no way to stop the freefall and that they needed to make sure that this city would not become another city in this country that had, had fallen so significantly and greatly that there was going to be such a difficult path getting back. And I even though the central business district didn't hit rock bottom, this neighborhood hit rock bottom and the proximity of this neighborhood to the central business district was starting to create more subtle disinvestment decisions that corporations were making. And they were very concerned about it. Yep. Absolutely true. So, you know, we immediately, uh, it was a combination of things was you had to build a team, you had to hire employees you had to, you know, the good news, as we talked a little bit about earlier, I, I did not have to come in here and to work on a two-year strategic plan. I mean, there was uh, John Allshuler and the folks at HRNA were, had already um, begun a process of focusing the corporate community in the city on what projects and what areas should be focused on. And so I had the benefit of inheriting a number of things, which was consensus on what should be done. I was also able to inherit two incredibly definable and and very fruitful area-wide TIF districts uh, that were created uh, by the city under the leadership of uh, then Mayor Charlie Luke and, and then the head of the finance committee at city council, who is now our mayor, John Cranley, who created these TIF districts that were, quite frankly, incredible. Because what they did was they combined the central business district and over the Rhine and created two districts. But they made sure that each district had a portion of downtown and a portion of over the Rhine so that the value of the incremental increase in taxes that are often created in the central business district could be used in over the Rhine. 
And so it was only the Robin Hood effect. Yeah, they gerrymandered it, it in a way they, that would actually work. I mean, it was absolutely. And I saw this when I, I looked, you know, I was looking at, you know, what were my, what are our potential resources to do the job? And they also had, in addition to this, inherited a defined set of plans, these TIF districts, and there was this sort of dormant development fund. When I say dormant, it just wasn't very active. They they created this corporate development fund that was doing these one-off projects. There was maybe about forty million in this fund, but it was it was oh I'll do this project over here I'll lend it to this developer, and it was not used in such a way that it created the sort of that targeted critical mass of development that could show visible results. So we 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 took that fund and put it under the auspices of Free CDC, and all these things together launched our effort to begin the redevelopment of both these communities. So as we were redeveloping Fountain Square, we were beginning the land banking effort in Over the Rhine. I saw some statistic on how many properties you had bought over a one or two year period when you first started. Yeah, well, it was more than that. It was a period. I mean, we bought these properties over probably a, a four or five year period. And we, we bought over 200 properties. And, you know, that was controversial. You know, we were buying these properties. And we certainly weren't telling people that we were coming or buying them. And 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 most of them, of the 200 properties, we only bought maybe four or five properties that had anybody in them. They were all vacant. I mean, right. this, this community had fallen. Um, and so, but and nonetheless, it is controversial. People were concerned. Like, what are you going to do with them? Who are these guys? What are What were our motives? Um, and so we had to we had to sort of fight through that for a couple of years, and you know, and and rightly so, you know, even though when we did undertook projects of a civic nature like Fountain Square or Washington Park or other public spaces where we went through extensive public input sessions and so forth, this one was sort of we're buying private property and and eventually we we may have to have some public approvals, but we were sort of moving on our way, and so. That those first couple years of redeveloping those those properties that we had purchased, we we were under we were under a microscope and there was some controversy associated with it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like one of the themes of your work has been willingness to be both under a microscope, be controversial, and have vision and keep pushing. Well, yeah, yeah. I, at this point point in time, I guess we didn't have a choice. Uh, <laughs> right. Once we. Yeah, once we, you know, we, there was no turning back. And Tom used to say that, you know, you put a stake in the ground, you just keep going. And we, we bought this land, and and then we began the redevelopment process. As we, meaning 3CDC itself, and we were not exactly prepared for this at the time, taking on this $48 million remake of Fountain Square, we were buying these properties. And what we did was we partnered up with a series of small entrepreneurial developers that had already been working in this neighborhood to carry out our first couple phases of redevelopment. And we did so under sort of our master planning function of putting the financing together and setting the standards and making sure we were doing uh, condominium development as opposed to rental development and and thinking about mixed use and historic standards and, and mixed income and all those sort of priorities um, and working with this set of developers and financed primarily through our corporate funds and uh, through the support of and backup of the TIF districts, we were able to, to uh, you know, sort of 
make a pretty big splash and impact in a relatively short period of time. Uh-huh. And, and is uh, there is, is there controversy around that you work with developers and those developers maybe did well financially in these changes? You had to leverage well, through someone else. You couldn't do it all yourself. But then, yeah, we, yeah, no, because <laughs> what we did was it's it's a very good question, by the way, Matt. The way we structured these original transactions is they they what because we were so much and and the city itself were so much a part of the financing uh, capital stack that we limited what they could do. Essentially, they were feed for service developers. And then they could get some upside if it performed better. But we limited what they could do and and what they could benefit from. And and, but if they did better than we thought, then they could there was some upside for them. But uh, there was not this all of a sudden because you have to remember when we first started here and when we then began to put the first product on the market, which was, you know, was in 2007 and so forth. Shortly thereafter. You know what hit the fan, and mm-hmm. and the and the whole financial crisis, in a perverse way, helped us. Yep. And, and and the reason why it helped us was twofold. One is we didn't have to deal with people speculating in the neighborhood because they couldn't get access to capital, and they you know pe- people were probably selling properties instead of buying properties. And secondly, with the first time home buyer tax credit. Our units became so attractive that we were selling them very quickly with the tax credit and the low interest rates. And so we were that we actually benefited from this unfortunate set of circumstances that that was uh, that the rest of America was uh, was having to deal with. Absolutely. Financial crises tend to do that. I mean, it does. There's a little bit of 52 card pickup when that happens. And there are you can benefit from it if you have the staying power and the financial resources. And I think, you know, a lot of the controversy and the concerns about sort of our motives and gentrification and all those sorts of things, a lot of that started to go by the wayside, not because of necessarily what we said, but what we did. You know, whether it was doing a mixed income uh, project with McCormick Baron Salazar or doing the redo of of Washington Park, which was this deteriorated park that no children played in and created this what has now become the most intensely used, most democratic space in the community or by the fact that we then working with our corporate community in the city and working with providers uh, built free comprehensive residential and service facilities for the homeless that that cost in excess of $42 million. And so these types of projects uh, and multiple uh, affordable housing projects and then doing some projects with a local community development corporation, slowly but surely, um, I think, answered some of the concerns of some members of the community. Not all, but some. Uh-huh. And, and and you just mentioned in passing the word gentrification. So that word cuts both ways. And I, I love that word because it has great meanings, both as a positive and a negative driver. And you use those words. And then you talked about some of the things that you did to plow through that. But maybe delve into that, that, that word and the meaning and the meaning in, in this neighborhood a little bit. Well, anytime you take a neighborhood like this that has 
you know, there was essentially the only commerce that was going on in this neighborhood. And now I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, obviously, but uh-huh. the vast majority of commerce that was going on in this neighborhood was illegal commerce. It was uh-huh. open, you know, it was open for business. And, uh-huh. you know, the, the, but the only way I can describe it, and for those that are listening to this podcast that ever watched The Wire on, on uh, it was HBO, Amsterdam. <laughs> this was Amsterdam. Yep. This is, you know, unfortunately, Cincinnati, like Ferguson and and Baltimore and Cleveland and other places who have had some issues with racial relations with the police and civil unrest. Uh, in 2001, there was a young man that lost his life in a unfortunate uh, incident here uh, at the hand of a police officer. And uh, it caused great concern. And, and although this neighborhood had been falling, civil unrest essentially created a very stressful and distressed situation here. So we had to, at that point in time, begin to change things. And, and so there was not only the income equity issue, there was a racial related issue that needed to be addressed. And so we were trying to address both of those on a parallel track. And yes, I mean, anytime you start to then create new homeowners, different types of people moving into the neighborhood, commercial establishments that weren't standard commercial establishments in the past, like restaurants and other things, people are going to use right, right away, start throwing up, particularly those that are critics of what you're doing, are going to throw up the, the gentrification card. And that's okay too, you know, that, but you just then need to continue to, you know, recognize that a fair an equitable and and a balanced neighborhood is what our ultimate goal is. And then if you know that as you're up, put your head down and continue to do the things in a neighborhood that will make that a reality. And I think that we slowly but surely have begun to do that. I mean, we are in the process now of taking over about 300 units of affordable housing that were previously done in the you know, 80s and 90s that had fallen from grace from a variety of nonprofit developers and some for-profit developers. And we are finding a way working with HUD and with some local community-based housing providers and some other affordable housing providers like McCormick, Barron, Barron Salazar and the Model Group, where we are going to redevelop those properties, uh, deconcentrate them, Add some affordable housing unit, or excuse me, some market rate housing units. Expand the number of affordable units, and create longer lives to the restrictive covenants that keep them affordable for a long time. And invest millions of dollars in both the renovation and then eventually the management of these properties. And this is a, a cornerstone of our. We began it in 2016. We're now in 2000. But this opportunity came available to us, and we took advantage of it because. We knew it was one way to meet some of our objectives in the community. Any final thoughts on, I'm just so curious about the move from Pennsylvania to Ohio, the move from Pittsburgh to Cincinnati. I don't know when, what retirement means, but if, if, when that happens, do you go back to Pittsburgh, stay in Cincinnati, or is there somewhere halfway in between there? It could be in both cities. (laughs) No, I, uh, by the way, they're they're incredibly similar, uh, cities. Uh, Pittsburgh's a little, uh, 
a more ethnic. Uh, it's a little bit denser of a city, a little edgier of a city. Uh, but Cincinnati is a wonderful city, and what what one thing it does have is this neighborhood of Over the Rhine, which is, in my mind, is is one of the unique gems in the country. So, and this job, I will tell you, uh, I can honestly say this. Uh, is the best job I ever had. I mean, it is. I've had. I've been one of these people who, each time in in my career, I can honestly say that the next job I had was even better than the one I had before. And and, and I I assume that most people can't say that. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Leading Voices with ULI podcast hosted by the Urban Land Institute. To learn more about ULI's leadership network or to join ULI as a member, please visit uli.org.